We are Sean and Jen Diatley, and we've been in Senegal, West Africa for the last, well, we were back here, what, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, something like that. Um, and so the first question, or first question we want to answer is, where in the world is Senegal? Senegal is the most western point of Africa, and oftentimes, because we as Americans are geologically, geographically um, and grammatically uh, we're, we lack on, on uh, geography people will say hey well that's cool you're in Africa and Senegal and West Africa uh, I know somebody in Kenya do you know them no. Kenya's way down here a few thousand miles away from where we're at just follow the um, arrow and you'll see Senegal So right there Senegal is there it's the elbow in case you get confused. Next. A little bit about Senegal. There are around 56 people groups in the country and about that many language groups, if not more. Akon's from Senegal for those Akon fans in the house tonight. Uh, 13 million people in the country, but the country is about the size of Oregon. And the country of Senegal is 90.3% Muslim. And that's a horse cart. <laughs> Next. Actually, that's a donkey cart. My bad. We have both horse and donkey carts. One of the many modes of transportation. So we, for a year, we lived in a village in what's called the Casamance region. In red. Yeah, the, the red region here. Follow the, the arrow. As you can see, if you can tell on the map, Senegal is separated by one small country called Gambia. And it's just basically a river with a few miles of land on each side. And for some reason, they put a little country there in the middle. But Senegal wraps around the country. And so the southern part, right south of Gambia, is called the Casamance region. It's a green, lush, very unique part of Senegal. Um, there's some beautiful beaches. It's a very mild climate. And there's a lot of rich farmland. But unfortunately, this region has battled a lot of rebel activity for years. And uh, many people avoid traveling to that area due to security reasons. In fact, the Ameri we have some friends that work with the American Embassy, and they are not allowed to travel to that area. They couldn't even come visit us um, unless they have a military escort. The Casamance is also a very animistic area which, if you notice in the picture, that little boy is wearing something around his neck, and that is believed to protect him against evil spirits. It can help keep disease away. It can give him wealth and success and so on. In many houses, there are charms hanging in the doorway once you walk in, and that is also believed to bring the family prosperity, help keep evil spirits away, etc. It is very sad. Um, people, Many, many, many people live in fear of spirits every single day. Next. And this starts even at birth, like with babies, they'll they'll start strapping charms on them. We've seen over. we've seen babies with just straps all around his neck, layered necklaces on its wrists, on its ankles, just charms all over the place. And if one falls off, then the mother is just afraid to lose her baby. So now that you know everything there is to know about Senegal, a little to know about us. That's um, us. There's a lot of new. A lot, of, a lot of new faces here since last time we were home, and uh, so for those of you who don't know us, I am actually from, I grew up here in this area, from Clarktown, 
and Jen grew up in Colorado. She's from Greeley. We met in Bolivia, South America. Oh, no, we were on a short-term missions trip year, years ago. We are with NTM, New Tribes Mission. NTM focuses on reaching the least reached, those who have not yet heard of Jesus. And we've been serving in Africa for four years now. We, go ahead. We, we started in <laughs> Guinea, West Africa, which is the country, it's two countries south of Senegal. Um, we lived there for four months. We moved in. We started learning language. We uh, started learning the culture of West Africa and, or, and of Guinea, looking into where we were going to move in the future. And unfortunately, there was some political instability, and we had to evacuate. We, had, we were given, our leaders came in, and they gave us less than a week to pack up after we had just settled in and move out. So then we moved to Dakar, which is the capital of Senegal. We worked with a local church there. We continued learning French and studying the culture before moving then to the Casamance the region. Next. So we took a 14-hour overnight boat ride down to the village where we moved to in the Casamance region where we showed you. We were there to work with a small cell group that was maturing and growing into a church. And we were there to disciple some of the young believers. We shared our courtyard, which was about half the size of this room, with an African family. We became friends with our neighbors and went to cultural events such as weddings and Muslim baby naming ceremonies. Also, I taught through the book of Acts with the, uh, the cell group that was there, the small church, and spent time with the different guys from this group. Basically, there was a few single guys that were in this area, and they, they had someone that was there and basically led them to the Lord, started discipling them, and then it was, he was a school teacher, and then he had to move to a different region in the country. So there they were. For a couple of years, they were just trying to keep going, and they did, weren't really sure where to go with their teaching, with everything. And, and so... Um, our, we have uh, some coworkers. There's another couple with NTM that moved into that area, got to know these guys, and said, hey, these guys need a little bit of discipleship. Their goal was to move into a neighboring village, learn that the ethnic language there, and to plant a church in the village. And so they asked if we could come down so that they could focus on learning the language and disciple these guys. So we moved in there. We started working with uh, a few of the guys. So I taught worked with them, spent time with them. Um, I also worked on developing some French Bible lessons that they could then teach to the, the, the church. And um, Jen taught an, an English class to some of the guys to help them, and, and she also helped translate some lessons. Um, what else? Oh, took some, she also took some sewing classes from a neighboring At sewing school. At Centre de Couture Sewing School. Next. So this is actually a video we're going to show you of a Muslim baby naming ceremony. It was for our neighbor's new daughter. They sacrifice a sheep, announce the name usually about a week after the birth, and eat slash party for the rest of the day and night. So this noise, you can just imagine trying to fall asleep to it.
we can dance like that. <laughs> Next. Learning how to be relevant and earning the right to speak. We learn a lot about church planting in the African context. Um, just living with the people, we learned a lot about their culture. Um, side note, if you can tell in the picture, these guys are happy. That's just the way they take pictures. Nobody ever smiles in pictures. Um, the guy in the pink, it's called a boo-boo, is what the name of the outfit is, that we are wearing. And the guy in the pink one, he's our neighbor. He was the father of the, the child that they were celebrating. Um, and Sean, he's wearing a boo-boo too, and he designed it in Ohio State colors. So there's some crimson in there too. I was told by my tailor that you, can't not, you cannot put red on the dark gray. I said, absolutely, you can. <laughs> Next. Next. Hmm? You didn't want to go to over there. Oh, back. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the people that we went down to work with in the village, they ended up moving away, and after a year of working there, we moved back to the capital, which is Dakar, where we were needed in, our, in the guest house ministry. This picture is right out the back of our house. And like I said, it was, a, it was pretty villagey. We didn't have any running water. We had a well. The, the neighbor had a well that we got all of our water from. We did have electric, but it would cut out pretty regularly for 10 to 12 hours sometimes. We would describe our year in the village as challenging, isolating, adventurous, educational, and eye-opening. And that picture there in the bottom is Sean teaching the Acts class. Next. So, yet another move. We moved all of our things back to Dakar, the capital. Took another 14-hour boat ride always interesting and can read that so as we move back to the guest house to take over this this role as a mission guest house host to explain a little bit about the guest home it is a it's a building that's owned by our mission and we have about 10 bedrooms that people can come and stay in and basically it's set up so that people out in the villages can come there when they come to the town for whatever they have a place to stay but it's mission-owned, and we went there just to manage it. But as we went, as we moved there to take over, we kind of wrote up our own little personal mission statement, and we'll just read that to help you have, have a little bit of understanding of what our goals were. Our goal at the guest house is to provide a comfortable place for people traveling through the area to come and stay. We want to provide a place where missionaries, African pastors, humanitarian workers, and volunteer teams can escape some of the stresses of life and ministry in a foreign country. We want to welcome those coming to Dakar for the first time, ministry partners, teams, future coworkers, and assist those in town for medical, travel, or business purposes. We want to seek to be a source of encouragement for those involved in the ministry through food, meals, fun, relaxation, being a listening ear, and a prayer warrior. Through the building of relationships with the various guests that pass through, we desire to better relate to their ministries and their lives. We want every guest to feel like they're coming home, wherever that may be. 
It really does take a team to accomplish the task. And moving to the guest house, we were really hoping that we could use some of our past experiences in Guinea and in the village to better understand what village life is like. So as we're running this guest house, people are coming in from all over the country, living and working in all kinds of situations to just uh, encourage them and know where they're coming from. And at the time, we'd been in Guinea for four months, and we had to, we just got settled in, and then we had to pack up and leave. And the tendency was to think, why, why would God work it out this way? We knew God had a plan, but to kind of wonder, like, what, what's going on here? And then to move down to the Cosmos for, and we were there for a year. Some of the guys, as we mentioned before, moved away after we got down there to work with them. And it was the same thing. Well, we've been here for a year. We went for one to two years, so it was kind of part of the plan. But still, it was a question of, man, why why didn't God keep us here longer or whatever? And then when we moved to the guest house, we kind of cleared up for us that, man, we can use all these various experiences so that we can relate to the people that are coming here to stay. Next. Supporting missionaries serving in the local African church. That kind of sums up a little bit what we're doing right now in Senegal. And when we first arrived in Dakar two years ago, we had a host family, an African host family, and an African host church. So when we moved back, we reconnected with that same church. Next. Is it back on? This is a video that one of our coworkers, he works in a village. He's about a 16 to 18 hour drive away depending on what the weather's like, from the city where we live. And he actually, we got back here, and he said, hey, I'd like to send you a video that you could show some of your supporters. I said, sure. I think the mouth is off a little bit, so I promise that it's not dubbed. You'll just have to ignore <laughs> And we did not uh, pay him that. for this. Hi, my name's Aaron Hefner, and I'm sending out this video in support of Sean and Jim. Just wanted to say thank you all for supporting them, sending them out here to help folks like us. We're church planters here in eastern Senegal, and Sean and Jim do a great job helping us uh, when we go to Dakar. Guest house is nice. And uh, most importantly for me, myself, uh, we have a teaching ministry here, an agricultural project, and uh, we just got done building our house. And Sean was a huge help getting me supplies, things that I need, running around Dakar, hunting things up for us because we don't know Dakar as well as they do. So Sean's a tremendous blessing to me personally. Jen does a great job at the guest house. And so I just wanted to say thank you all for, for sending them out here so that uh, we can be sharing the gospel with the Jalunga and also helping them in, like I said, the agricultural areas. And, and uh, it's just a real treat to be here. And Sean and Jen make it a lot easier on us. So thank you all. God bless. Next. <clears throat> so, as I said, he's a long, a long ways away, and he's in his teaching ministry. And if he were to get on, let's say, a, a, a bus or public transportation and come out, he's going to be at least a day or two traveling to the city, a day or two trying to find what he needs, and then a day or two traveling back. And so it's been... Um, just it's really cool because I I enjoy this part of this aspect of the ministry, just traveling around the city, trying to find what he needs, filling his list, and then 
sending it back out. There's various ways of shipping things in Senegal. We don't have UPS. We don't have FedEx. Um, so you can't just box it up and ship it. So oftentimes it requires finding the public transportation, like this vehicle here, and <laughs> finding one that's going to their particular area. And so I've, I've also went to the bus station before. There's these really rough old buses. And I go there and have to find, first off, ask who's the bus driver. And they'll say, well, he's the guy over there taking a nap under the tree. Okay, well, who's his apprentice? Well, he's that guy over there. Okay, well, let me talk to his apprentice. And so I talk to his apprentice. I say, hey, you know what? I, I, first off, you've got to get to know him. So you've got to meet and greet and everything. How's the family? And ask 100 questions. Then I say, hey, look, I've got, got a friend that's out in such and such a village. He needs this item. Can you deliver it for him? And they're like, sure. Yeah, not a problem. So we exchange phone numbers. I give him the item, and then they take it. And then when they get close, he'll call and go pick it up at the, the bus station or wherever, and then he'll pay them on the other end. But uh, it just requires a lot of time, and just sometimes it's exhausting because you just have to go around and all over the place. But it's also pretty rewarding as well because Aaron can stay in the village. He can keep teaching God's word to these people all because we've taken the time to get the stuff they need and ship it out. We've helped ship supplies from tires to seeds to peanut butter to laundry detergent. So it can be interesting. Next. When we took over the management of the guest house, we had a lot of work to do. We've spent this past year updating the place and just doing some redecorating the former hosts were Dutch, and I don't know if it's a cultural thing or just because they're missionaries and are cheap, but uh, they just kind of <laughs> cut corners everywhere. I mean, no extreme, no exaggeration. Shower curtain rods were old broom handles. So that's kind of what we were coming into this place that for 20 years has just been kind of as is. So we, we've just been kind of working on that. So here's just one little example. This is an old guest room. We just kind of fixed it up a little bit. You can go to the next one. Did some upgrades. This is the main dining room. Most of the rooms have kitchens in them, so for those that don't, they can use that. The guest house has 10 rooms. Our capacity is 35. If someone's willing to sleep on the floor and they're desperate, we can have more than that. The guest house has been around for about 20 years, and we've only had two nights in a year with no guests, so we're almost always full to the max. Next. We manage four African workers at the guest house. Three of the four are Muslim. And the guest house is self-sufficient and doesn't receive any money from our mission. We're open to all mission organizations, pastors, teams. The people that stay there do pay a little bit just to basically keep the place running. Um, electric in Senegal is – actually, I was just looking at the electric bill I got the other day, and we've, it's about three times as much as what we pay here. So electric's high, um, waters can be expensive, and so the people pay um, to stay there, but it's a pretty minimal, it's not, it's not much. So it's, we try to keep it very affordable for people. Next. Matt asked us to share some challenges, and here are some prayer requests along with that. Um, we live on support as missionaries which can vary from month to month. Right now we're at about 60% of our recommended amount. 
So you can be praying that our support level will increase before we return in January. Also, living in a Muslim context can be very challenging. Um, people there are they're born into whatever their religion is. And so if you're born into a Muslim family, you are Muslim, and you're taught not to question. We're here in America. We teach our, our young people to think outside of the box and to, and to just think and, and question and everything, but there you're taught not to, not to dream, not to think, not to question anything. And so you're born into a Muslim family, you're Muslim. So choice, belief doesn't play into it at all. Um, so pray for boldness and respect as we interact with our Muslim friends and just that God will just give us wisdom in how to share with them. Working in the missionary community can be interesting since we're working with many different nationalities and many different organizations. It can be difficult because not everyone preaches a clear gospel message. So they're coming through the guest house excited and they threw up the Jesus film and 300 people got saved or fill in the blank method. And so it's difficult because as we know and value here at this church, a clear gospel message means the world. This is the most important thing. And so, as she said, it's, it's just hard sometimes when people come through and they're all pumped up about what, they, what they've done. I met a guy the other day that um, him and his son did a missions trip. And they just bought a tent and a sleeping bag and packed up a bunch of candy and stuff and went out in this village, random village, and just stayed there for a week. And they didn't speak any of the language. They didn't even have a translator. They just went out there and existed. And they were all excited about what God was doing, and I hated to bust this bubble, but I did not speak any of the language, um, not understanding any of the culture. You really... I mean, you didn't communicate anything to those people. Um, also, living in a foreign to us language and culture can be, not can be, is oftentimes exhausting. Next. So just for fun, little quiz, what is that? Anybody? Teapot plus what else? It is, it is a teapot. What is it used for? Toilet paper. <laughs> That's it. When you go into the bathroom, they hand you a teapot. <laughs> With water in it. That everybody else has used. We carry our own toilet paper. So that leads us into any other questions. Not but just I can about honestly that. say I have never used one in the four years <laughs> in West Africa. And he's pretty proud of it, so. And rightly so. <laughs> so thank you guys for praying for us, for being behind us. And as, as I just explained how that... You know, Aaron's out there in the village. He's out there uh, teaching the Bible. And we are an extension of his ministry and what he's doing. And you guys are just the same by supporting us and praying for us and everything are, are just as important of a part of what he is doing there amongst the Jalunga people. So that's the end of what we have. And we're supposed to open it up for questions.
which is a little risky. That's a good question. We would both say that we never really had like a calling or like a clear vision from God or anything, but it was more just growing up. I grew up in the church and I just knew a lot too from trips, short-term trips and stuff like that, seeing for myself that, wow, a lot of people have no clue who Jesus is. They haven't even heard the name. They don't know what the Bible is. And so a lot of that, what both influenced our decision to go was just knowing that people don't have the opportunity to believe in Jesus. And so. Yeah, and through just, I mean, it's long stories, but um, one thing that really kind of cemented it for me was when we were on our short-term mission trip in Bolivia, we got down there and, and I mean, I grew up here. I didn't, I mean, I don't have, like, I didn't have, like, a real specialty. I'd worked out at Potts Auto Body in Minford for years, so I knew how to work on cars a little bit, and that was about it. I mean, we have some cows, and so I knew how to run, string some barbed wire fence, and, and that was about the extent of my skill set, and we get to Bolivia, and the, they're, like, we landed, and we're, like, here, we're just here to work to help out whatever you have for us in the first day. They're, like, well, we have some barbed wire we need to string does anybody know how to do that yeah, i've done a fair share of that so i did that and at the same time the guy that was leading the trip was like sean you see how you can fit in in a ministry like this and i'm like i wish you'd just stop saying that <laughs> and uh so it was just i just through different things like that god just really made it clear um to me also about a week into it one of the the maintenance guys there where we were at at the the boarding school he came to me and he said, hey, I hear you know how to work on cars a little bit. I said, yeah. He said, well, day before you guys got here, one of our Bolivian workers wrecked one of our trucks. You think you could take a look at it? And so the next week I spent in the garage fixing their truck for him because it was all bent up and everything. And So just little things like that that God used just to really say, hey, you just be willing and go, and I'll take care of all the details. Any other questions? Their families all live together, and so... Very close. Yeah, families are very close. They're, they have a house, like the main house, and then somebody else might build a room onto it, and somebody else might build a room onto that, and, and then and they continue. So they end up having this big house with a courtyard in the middle. They all eat together every, basically every meal. They eat, they get these, they have these huge bowls. So they fill them full of rice and fish and whatever they eat, and they all just sit around the bowl and eat. And so everything is done together, basically. So families are really close. And it's always the older one who's respected. So if it's the old man, you respect him. If it's the older brother, he has the say, and you respect him. And so it's all built on a system of respect as well. But they can't believe that, like, here we 
wouldn't just move in and live with our parents. And they are shocked. Everybody they live in the same house, and that you might your parents have a house, and you'd buy a house a half a mile away. Really, like they're just shocked. Live that with your parents. That doesn't make sense. They're shocked that somebody would actually move out at eighteen. That they wouldn't just stay for another ten, fifteen years, and that they just can't comprehend like the way that our system is set up. I just remind him, you haven't met my parents. <laughs> Who are here tonight? This is my mom and dad here in the front. So. I didn't say it. It always is astonishing to me, too, to visit a village because it really is like stepping back in time. They're wearing the same wraparound skirts. They have their baskets on their heads, their babies on their back. They have this same method of pounding rice or whatever that their ancestors did. And it's, it is. It's just like a, their world is just that, and they don't think beyond that. And like Sean said, they're not taught to either. Sometimes you'll say to somebody, well, have you ever thought, what if you filtered your water or did this or set this up like this. To us, it makes sense scientifically or for health purposes, but they know why this works, and this is all we know. But same thing, like the gospel, it's, it's to them, it's Islam, and it's Allah, and it's pray this many times a day because you have to, because your parents did, and because your parents are who you respect, and so that's what you do, and it just kind of trickles down. And they're tolerant of Christians, and they, they're like, okay, with being around Christians, but to them, it's, that's what you were born into. And so it just makes sense to them that, okay, you're Christian, we're Muslim, and that's what we were born into. And so it, sometimes it even blows their mind a little bit that you, when you explain to someone, hey, I'm not a Christian because my parents are Christians. I'm a Christian because this is what I believe, and at one point in my life, this was the decision that I made to believe that. One of the things we actually had up on the presentation was earn the right to speak. And we were talking about that earlier, how it's easy as in that context, you show up, you're like, I'm educated or I'm a, I'm a Bible person or whatever. And so you feel like, well, they're lost, I'm saved, so let me show you guys what's right. But you can't. For one, you're coming from a completely different background. You don't think the way they think. To them, the rainbow might be evil. So you start talking about Noah and, hey, there's this rainbow. Isn't that cool? And then they're going to think that you're an evil spirit, you know. So it takes, you know, that's the extreme, of course. You have to earn the right to speak in the sense of learn their culture and why they think the way they think. But even here, you can't just show up at work and be like, everybody, right here, um, it's Bible class time. And so this is what I believe, and you need to believe it too. But really taking the time to develop friendships and, and to learn a little bit about that person and where they're coming from and, what their family life is like and 
that's what I would say. Yeah, I think take time just to show people. I mean, even here our culture is very rush-rush. It's very, we've got something to do and a place to, somewhere to be, and we don't have time for whatever. But I think people still want to know that somebody cares about them. And so take time out of your day to talk to somebody, to just sit there and listen. I mean, there's hurting people all around, all over the world. And so <clears throat> I've just learned that, you know, it, being a friend is is more than just, you know, passing them on the street and saying, hey, how you doing? And so take time to be to be a friend to people. And, and it's really, it becomes a pretty sometimes heavy commitment. Um, I know even over there, your friends expect you to call them on a regular basis. And we, we laugh because it might be two days that we haven't seen or talked to somebody. And then we see them and they're like, man, it's been forever. Where have you been? I'm like, it's been two days. I just talked to you two days ago. But as part of their culture, it's like they want to stay in communication all the time. And so you pass by their house or you give them a call or if you're in the area. And those are the things, though, that show someone that, hey, I care about you. And, and there's, we were in a town recently, and I knew this pastor in the area, and he stopped in to visit me before a few times. And so we were back in the town, and we were really rushed for time. And uh, I'm like, man, I really should stop by and see him. We're like, uh, we don't have time. Okay, well, let's just stop. Well, thankfully, he wasn't there. So uh, we just dropped in and saw his, his daughter or somebody was there. And I said, hey, you know, just tell him I stopped by. And, and that's all it took. So then after that, like a little bit later, I get a phone call. Hey, I hear you're at my house. Yeah, I was. I stopped by to say hey. And he's just like, and it just, it, it was all the world to him. It just meant everything to him that we took the time out of our day just to stop by and say hey. Do always shake hands with somebody. Never, ever, ever use this hand. Because if you don't have the water pot, you got this left hand. So, But shaking hands is like just what you do. If, you, if I pass by and I don't shake, even if I say hi, if I don't shake your hand, I am beyond rude. Just very rude. What else? Uh, greetings is the big thing. You just have to say and not hi just, to somebody. Hey, how? How's your mom? How's your dad? How's your garden? How's your cow? How's your field? How's your... You just have to go through, like, this list. How's everything? And it gets a little bit like... And even with, like, our workers, every single day you've got to go to them. Hey, how you doing? Did you sleep good last night? And how's like, your yeah, son? Yeah. How's your family? How's your kids? How's your health? You go on with a few questions. And, and so what, one time I was, I was just focused and rushed, and, and I walked through our office... And, and to go and see somebody, and the receptionist was there, and she, I, I didn't greet her. So the following day, I go by, and I just saw her, and I'm like, hey, Fatu, how are you? And she's like, well, I'm good now. <laughs> and I can just tell I did something. I'm like, what's going on? Well, last time you came through here, you didn't greet me, so I thought there was something wrong. I'm like, no, there's nothing wrong. I must have just been focused on something else, and 
and came through, and she's like, well, okay, that's all right. So then the next day, I showed her. <laughs> I went in, and I said, hey, Fatu, how are you? Good. How's your kids? Good. How's your health? Good. And I named everything that I saw in her office. How's your stapler? Good. How's your desk? Good. How's your computer? Good. How's your fan? Good. She's like, enough, enough. I get the point. I'm like, it's your culture, not mine. Women should never show their legs like above their knees. It's just too much. Yeah, you can correct anybody else's children, and anyone can correct your children. So, like, it can come in handy, and I'm sure if you have kids, it could be a real pain. But if a little kid comes running by, and, hey, don't do that. And also, you can boss them around. Bring me some water now, and they'll do it. Kids are slaves, really. They are, in that culture. They'll oh, leave. yeah, oftentimes kids would come by when we were in the village. They would come by, and they'd throw rocks at our dog, or they'd throw rocks at the house, or they'd just do something, do something dumb. And so I'd just, I'd grab a little switch and just march right out the door. Of course, by then, they were usually gone. But their moms were like, yeah, get them! (laughs) And if you have a problem with somebody's kids and later you're like, well, your kid did this and it bothered me. And then they'll get mad at you. You should have hit them. You had the chance. You were there. It's like it's your fault that you didn't say something to them. Mike, you had a question? question it sounds like just sort of an easy answer but just pray for grace that we'll have grace because we're dealing with a lot of racism over there we're the odd man out a lot of people stare and point and laugh talk about you behind your back in other languages even amongst our workers you have that just they speak so many other languages and you just can't keep up so and everywhere you go people want to charge you more money and they want to steal your stuff and so it's just that constant battle of just God, let me love these people despite my human, you know, reactions and stuff. And just because we're from the West, they believe that we just have a whole, whole lot of money, that we're extremely, extremely rich, and we just have money to pass out. And so that's difficult. Um, it, you know, it's just difficult to deal with that. People coming up to you all the time, hey, I need some money, can you give me some money? Or, hey, I need this, or I need that, and... And just really, we want to be a blessing to people. We want to help people that need help. But uh, if we, if I helped everyone that uh, asked me for something, I would have been home with uh, in debt a long time ago. Yeah, there's ways to say no. Oftentimes, sometimes I've just told them, hey, you know what, I actually owe somebody somebody some money right now. And so if I give you money and he finds out that I gave you money when I owe him money, 
He meaning visa? Yeah. I mean, whatever the case may be, uh, I'm like, ah, it's not going to be good. We've so also... They just, they're like, okay, I understand. Like with your glasses. Yeah, I, I have a pair of Oakleys that my younger brother gave me. And people all the time, they're like, hey, give me those glasses. And uh, I'm like, you can't really just say no. Sorry, you're not getting them. Then they're like, oh, so you're just going to refuse me. And then they get all offended. And so you just got to kind of learn culturally, how can we handle this? And so one day somebody was like, hey, give me those glasses. And I said, man, I would love to. But, you know, my younger brother gave these to me as a gift. And he would be hurt if I just gave his glasses away. They're like, oh, true. Hang on to those. (laughs) And I've started asking for their stuff. Even if they don't have a lot, it just kind of helps them realize how it feels. They have a nice, pretty dress. The women there love and value fashion. doesn't matter how poor you are. They will spend some money on some embroidered dresses. And so I'll say, I love that. Can I have it? Oh, and then they'll have their excuses. So then that helps me know what to say next time. (laughs) And if you remember the guy that was wearing the pink, the bright pink boo-boo, I told him, I said, man, I like your boo-boo. And he was like, well, I'll give it to you. Like, man, that'd be awesome, but it won't fit. Sorry. <laughs> Have we dealt with any deaf people over there? Um, For sure there's a school over there, there that is. some missionaries, they serve in that school. Yeah, we but. have some friends that run a run a deaf school there in the capital. Yeah. But personally, I have not. Probably better the time. It can be. <laughs> All right, let's take one last question, if there is one, and then we'll shut up. Good question. Um, Revolution Podcasts are, you know, really thankfully with the internet, we can download podcasts and we can listen to stuff. And and that's oftentimes our lifeline because there's, you know, especially when we were living in the village, we were feeling pretty isolated. We were working with a church there, but all of our ministry was, we were doing it all in French, which was just really exhausting. And yeah, there was no place to really go and just kind of like sit back and listen in your own language and worship. Now, thankfully, in Dakar, where we're at now, there is an international church that's in English. Um, and we we go to our French church like most of the time. And then about once a month, we go to the international church just to kind of take a breath and worship in English. It's been a real blessing.